Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. I remember for a long time, I was a real whiner, sober, you know, and uh, have you started yet? Oops, it's on tape now. Uh, I was a real whiner for a long time sober. You know, it was like, how are you? Well, you know, people are looking at me funny. And And I don't know if you know Clint H. or ever heard Clint H. He's one of my favorite people. He's from out of California. If you ever get a chance to hear Clint, hear him. He's a wonderful man, and I love him very much. Clint came up to me one time and said, Ed, how are you? And I thought, well, you know, they're not treating me right at work. And I said, you know. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Ed, you've got to fight through a lot of happiness to be that miserable, don't you? <laughs> My ones. What am I looking at? The ones or the 299? Am I fighting through a lot of happiness to be that miserable? The answer is, a lot of times, yes, if I'm not real careful. I want to tell you a story that uh, uh, came to mind at break, and it's about grieving. I understand grieving. Uh, I've had uh, two brothers killed by drunk drivers. I had a sister-in-law commit suicide. Another brother-in-law put a gun to his head. He died after two years uh, as a vegetable. I watched my mother die of cancer. I mean, I've been divorced, lost everything I own three times. I understand sadness and I understand loss. So I'm not poking fun or trying to make light of anybody's sadness. But what I found is some people want to make grief a profession. I had a guy walk into my office three years ago. And uh, two years ago, I guess. And he said, Pastor Ed, I want to talk to you. And I said, sure. I said, what's going on? This was on a Monday. He said, Friday, I'm really going to be depressed. And I thought, well, at least you're planning them. That's good. I you know. <laughs> suppose if that's the way you work it, that's the way you work it. And I said, uh, why are you going to be sad? And he said, it's the anniversary of my daughter's death. And uh, she had died a few years before, three, four years before. And I said, oh. And I I was prayerful, and I said to him, you know what, Thursday night when you go to bed, I want you to put your favorite picture of your daughter right next to your bedstand. And the minute you wake up, start celebrating every curl on her head, every laugh, every giggle, every moment you ever had with her. And I want you to celebrate her memory all day long. Or you can make it all about you. He got up and walked out. And I understand exactly why he did. He had at least two weeks in AA meetings when he said, Oh, what's wrong? Oh, well, it's the anniversary of my daughter's death. Now, how would I know that? Guilty as charged. A lot of people use grieving for the emotional payoff that they get. They get to be somebody. Uh, Especially people who have a lot of notoriety with their tragedy. I see all these things on TV now where they become professional victims for the rest of their life. And they say things like, I will be grieving forever. And they're telling you the truth because they insist on it. Nobody's ever told them it doesn't have to be that way. I'm kind of a funny guy because when people ask me about uh, when my mother died, I can't tell you. My mother was always kind of funny. She used to call me, and every once in a while I'd get a call, and she'd say, Ed, do you know what today is? And I said, no, Mom, don't. It's the day Aunt Gracie died. I said, Mom, Aunt Gracie died ten years before I was born. She said, yeah, I just thought you should know. She would wring every ounce of pain she could get out of life. And I thought, you know, if she does that, I'm her offspring. I'm going to have to watch to see if I'm doing that. What kind of payoff am I getting from grieving? And then there are some times when it's just a natural broken heart. I remember there was this one guy who uh, had lost a son four years before, and he went to see this gentleman. I'm describing it as a story. It's something I saw on TV. Uh, But uh, this guy went to see this gentleman, and the father who'd lost his son, was sobbing every day. 
with a broken heart. He just could not get over the loss of his child. And uh, this guy said to him, uh, to the father, are, are you of Christian belief? He said, oh, he said, yes. And he said, okay, I want you to close your eyes for a minute and I want you to envision something for me, would you? And he said, okay. And he closed his eyes and the guy said, I want you to envision a beautiful setting and beautiful gates off to your right and a line of just thousands of people coming up to St. Peter with candles. And they get to St. Peter and they light the candle and their face is aglow and there's peace and they go through the gates. He said, can you see that? And he said, yeah, I can see that. He said, okay, now I want you to look to your left. Over on the bench there is your son sitting on a bench with his white robe and his candle unlit. And he said, I want to ask you a question to ask your son, and then I will answer for your son. And he said, okay. And he said, ask your son, why are you sitting there, son? And he said, son, why are you sitting there? And the son replied, dad, every time I get my candle lit, your tears drowned it out. I want to make sure my grieving isn't holding back the freedom of someone else's memory because I believe we can hold on to them way too long. And if we really love them, we got to let them go for their peace and for ours. Now, we have an Ask It basket, so I'm going to answer some questions if I can. Boy, this is a good question. Uh, thanks for being no. Thanks for being so honest about. It. My oldest daughter was a victim of sexual abuse 15 years ago. We've both been in therapy separately, but recently she called me and asked, "Why me? How do I forgive myself, and how can she forgive me? Because I don't know the answer." Boy, what a good question. Uh, first off, I'm not sure what you need forgiven for. You were not the abuser. Uh, we all, I, if you're like me, when my father was murdered, my first thought was I should have been there. I should have been there to protect him. I should have been there. That's called selfishness and self-centeredness. I could, if I would have been there, I would have been dead, you know, in my case. And if you were there, is there anything you could have really done? Uh, I guess what I'm asking you to, is to look at whether it's just... I don't know about you, but when I collect ones, I look for reasons to feel bad. Not that you did this intentionally or are looking for this intentionally, but uh, I, I would look at somehow I was at fault that they were sexually abused or I should have seen this or I should have seen that or I should have done that. I don't believe that's the case, so there is no forgiveness needed on your part. Uh, I think the toughest thing uh, might be for you to do to forgive yourself anyway. You know, uh, And ask your daughter, why me? Uh, it's, I'm, I'm not trying to be cute here or smart, but why not her? Tragic things happen to people all the time. Absolutely wonderful people. It has nothing to do with her character. It has nothing to do with her being. It has nothing to do with the wonderful person she is. She was a victim of a bad act by another human being. Why her luck of the draw? It wasn't anything she did. I can almost promise you that without even talking to her. It wasn't anything she did. Uh, why her? Why not her? Why does she have to keep hanging on to that big one? Because if I'm hanging on to ones like that today, I'm missing life. Life's going by me because I'm stuck in yesterday. So I would ask you to ask her, why can't she forgive herself and forgive what happened so she can be better? Now, about forgiveness, some things like this. I've once felt that if I forgive the guys who killed my father, then somehow I'm giving credibility uh, or I'm, I'm doing a disservice to the memory of my father. That was a real biggie for me, you know, because I was raised an eye for an eye and a tooth for a truth, tooth for a tooth. But what I found out is that I was still making it all about me. Uh, my father was a kind and loving good man. He was ornery and cantankerous. His favorite thing to me, say to me is, Ed, if BS was music, you'd be a brass band. You know? <laughs> he was always so encouraging. And, uh, <laughs> but that's a tough thing about forgiveness, too, because somehow you think you're condoning the act. You don't condone the act. 
You accept what you cannot change, have the courage to change the things you can, and you've been given the wisdom to know the difference. Now, I'm going to go really make you stretch on this one. Several things I've read over the years, and I've argued with it when I read it. It's true, but I still argued with it. They said, why don't you start thanking God for everything that's happened in your life, even the worst things? Why don't you thank God for it? Now, their premise is, God's in control of everything, and he causes all this and that. I don't know that I buy all that. But that's what their premise is. But it was interesting to me for them to say, why don't you thank God for everything? Because the first thing that came to my mind was, I want to thank God for my father's murder. Please. I remember throwing the book across the room. It was about 15, 20 years ago. And I was driving down the street one day, and I said, God, I want to thank you for the murder of my father. And I've been free ever since. Here's what I figured out. When I give up even the horrible stuff to God, it's out of my domain, and it's in his. Once I thank him for it, I can't critique it anymore. And it's a freedom. Strange paradox, isn't it? But it says it in our book, that our past will be our most valuable assets. The murder of my father is one of the most healing tools I've ever witnessed in my life. And I've witnessed a lot of things. But in my travels and in my talks, of being able to have uh, Sherman come and get, get him out of prison and pick him up and buy him clothes and have him live with me and hug him when he's scared. One of the most effective tools of forgiveness I ever heard. Because you know one thing, and if you don't, I'll make it clear to you. I'm nothing special. I'm another human being, and I'm special that I'm one of God's kids too, but then I'm not special then because so are you. Anything I've been able to do, you have the same thing to be able to do. It's not that I got some special in. It's just that I allowed myself to heal. And that's tough to do sometimes. And, and uh, you know, back to this question about your daughter, I would ask her, why is it that you want to stay heard about this? Why is it you can't forget? And what I mean by that is this. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier my brother was buried on December 24th. Know what day that is? It's called Christmas Eve. So for years, Christmas was horrible. And Mother helped it right along, you know. Wrapped all our presents in black. <laughs> but uh, it was just bad. And then one day I thought, why am I ruining all my December 24ths because of one bad one? Why am I doing that? It's because I was guaranteed on that day I could feel bad. Doesn't that sound sick, but it's absolutely true. I don't remember the day anybody died anymore. I don't go to, few, I don't go to cemeteries anymore. That was a sad day. If I want to think about them, I'll lift them up in my memory and dance for their, dance for their memory. But I don't need to go there and, and make it all about me one more time. Now, for some people, that's very healing. I'm not saying that's wrong to do. But for a guy like me, that would become selfish and self-centered one more time. And what I understand in this book and what I understand in this program is exactly the opposite of what we need to do. I need to think more about you and less about me. Not less of me, but less about me. Hope that answered your question on the daughter. Next question. What do I do if you have difficulty letting go of your resentment, feel it's justified anger? Uh, we've been talking about that. That's a very good question. Uh, justified anger, to me, there is none. Uh, there's only one thing I allow me to get angry at. It's a disease called cancer. I get angry at that disease. I've just watched it take wonderful people down, just right and left. I don't get so mad at addiction anymore because there is an answer if you choose to have one. For a lot of the cancers, you don't. Uh, but I don't let the anger, I have, to, I have to let that anger go too because if I feel justified in it, then somehow I am right. And when I am right, people pay. <laughs> you know, I remember before I took my inventory, my good fourth and fifth step and eighth and ninth, sixth and seventh, before I did all that, I, I want justice! 
I want justice. After that four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I said, I'd like mercy, please, mercy. <laughs> it goes back to what we're saying. The reason I didn't want to let go of it is because it was some sort of defense for me. It was some sort of payoff for me. It was my God, if you will. Uh, and I felt if I let that go, then what's going to happen to me? Am I just going to go to a nothingness? Am I just not going to be anything? What happens is you become peaceful. Well, that was all new territory. Anger and discomfort's familiar territory. It's always easier to go back. I mean, if you've been around for a while, you've watched somebody be doing just fine, and then the next thing you know, they'll see a pile of crap and set it and smear it all over them. <laughs> and then they'll come to me and go, I don't know why I'm feeling crappy. <laughs> and they got a strange sense of satisfaction about it. Because it takes time to get used to being happy, joyous, and free. So if you catch yourself in the crap pile, stop it. Get up and wash yourself off spiritually and start fresh. You know, that old saying, Abe Lincoln said, most people are as happy as they make up their minds to me. B, that's a lot more true than false. It's a lot more true than false. But it's inconvenient for us because then we'd have to... There was one time when I didn't want to say I was well in AA, that I wasn't better, because I wanted carte blanche in case I got sick next month, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's how sick I am. Yeah, you know, I don't want to say, oh, geez, I'm well and, and, and I've been restored to sanity, as the book says we will if we work this program. I don't want to say that because then you'll expect me to be well all the time. And I want the out to be crazy when I have to be. I gave up that right, too, justified craziness, just like justified anger. If I catch myself justifying, what i got to do is lift it up and back away. Lift it up and back away. It's like cops. You ever watch cops? Put your weapons down and back away. <laughs> and what I do is I'm giving it to God. I'm not working on it. I'm surrendering it. I don't need to figure it out. I don't need to rationalize. If I need to rationalize whether I, I should be angry or not, I just need to surrender it. Promise you. Okay? Next question. Okay, good one. My son is 22, an alcoholic, and I get angry because he continually treats me badly. He is manipulative and will not stay away, even though I keep kicking him out. I keep forgiving him, but his behavior continues. I have worked for years to let go and let God. How many times do I have to keep forgiving him when the behavior does not stop? Oh, good, good question. Um, forgiveness doesn't condone bad behavior. You know, if I forgive you, uh, for stealing from me, and you start stealing from me again, I'll have to forgive you, but not for your sake, but also I'm going to put an extra lock on the door. You know? I was terrible with my mother. Uh, somehow you're convinced that you can do something about his addiction. Bad information. Uh, you say you keep kicking him out. I promise you, you go get a peace bond on him and get him thrown in jail a time or two. He won't be knocking on your door. And if he does, he'll have a place to stay where you won't have to worry about him. <laughs> My mother, when I was 16 years old, I called her from jail. And I'll never forget, it was 3 o'clock in the morning, and I called her from jail. She didn't even ask who it was. She picked up the phone and said, no. <laughs> well, I never called her again, I'll tell you. <laughs> now, why did I call Mom? She was always my ace in the hole. She went to this Alanani-nani thing. You know? And they told her, just say no. Don't enable anymore. Uh, please don't take it upon yourself to forgive him for bad behavior. It's like people in AA say, we don't judge. You don't judge in AA. And then they'll say, stick with the winners. <laughs> How do you figure out who's the winner if you're not judging? You know? <laughs> I've got to judge, but I don't condemn. I've got to judge your behavior and whether it's acceptable to my way of life. To, but I don't judge your character. I judge whether it's fitting for me or not. And I don't condemn you. Because you have the right to do whatever you want to do. And it sounds to me like uh, uh, 
uh, your, uh, you know, the other thing I wanted to mention is you said he is uh, 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 manipulative. Uh, you know, he can't be if there isn't a respondent at the other end. When mom said, nope, that was the end of my manipulation, it's kind of like dictators in AA. Every once in a while I'll say, oh, there's dictators in AA. You know how to end a dictatorship in AA? Say, no thanks. <laughs> Done. What are they going to do, send you to AA jail? You know? Okay, next. Okay, for you, for those, this is a great question, and thank you for having the, the, the integrity to ask it. Masturbation. I struggle with it, and I think I've gotten over it, and I give into it and feel guilty about it, and I might or, or will not go to heaven. I feel that I've separated myself from God. What a gutsy, nice question to ask. Thanks for having the courage to ask it. Nobody's got that problem but you, but... <laughs> Now, please, please, if you're the writer of this, understand I said that because about everybody I know deals with this, okay? <laughs> They're just not willing to be honest about it. I remember, I, remember uh, I was with a guy I sponsor, and he gave a really good talk. He invited me along talking, and, and he said, And I've been 100% faithful to my wife for the last 12 years. And on the way home, he said, What do you think of my talk? I said, You shouldn't lie from the podium. He said, What did I lie about? He said, you said you were 100% faithful to your wife. He said, well, I have been. I said, so every time you're in the shower alone, you're thinking of your wife, huh? And he went, oh. It's integrity. If it isn't true, don't say it. Uh, I don't know. Page 69 and 70 in the big book gives excellent directions for sexual behavior. Absolutely does that you pray that your ideas of sexual behavior be molded and uh, uh, you try to live up to that ideal that you come up with because I really believe sexual instincts are God-given and therefore good. But I also, when we talk about selfishness and self-centeredness, that's the height of it. I mean, it's all about me then. Ain't about you. And it does cut me off from the sunlight of the Spirit, I believe. Are you ever going to be perfect with it? I don't know, but I believe that you can get to a point of spiritual satisfaction where the longing to be so selfishly involved will be less and less and less. I, re I really do believe that. Hope that was an answer for you. And again, thanks. That was a courageous question to write. What do you do if someone uses an amends against you that results in the loss of a job? Admitted theft from job is what happened. Well, if you hadn't stole from the job, you wouldn't have got fired. So they didn't really use an amends. Uh, had you been honest then, you would have been fired then. So I'm not sure what you mean they used your amends to fire you. Uh, unless you're one of these alcoholics that all of a sudden, now that you're sober, you think all should be forgiven without any consequences. Please understand that uh, my friend Sherman, uh, who murdered my father, uh, there should have been a consequence for that action, and he had it. You know, I'm not for no consequences at all. If you do certain things, there has to be consequences. And if I'm stealing from an employer and go and tell them, then I should have been fired, and rightfully so. If you want to be mad about it, it's okay, but your employer's doing just fine. I would suggest that you just go on about your living and uh, remember all the jobs you stole from and you didn't get caught, if you're like me. Honest questions, man. I love it. I am not a homosexual, but I'm under the influence. I have done some homosexual things to get drugs and alcohol. That sexual demon always comes out under the influence for anyone and anybody. Uh, I think what the question is you're asking here is what do you do about that? Well, it's in your last question. If you stay sober and if you work these steps, you're going to find a sexual uh, behavior and hopefully it'll be molded in one that's honest, in one one that will benefit you rather than degrade you. Now I'm not saying homosexuality is a degradation, and I'm not saying it isn't. What I'm saying is whatever it is for you that you can find peace with 
for the God that you understand. Does that make sense? hope so. Man, time's going quick. My mo- oh, good one. My mother died a year and a half before I could make amends to her. She saw me sober for nine years and eleven and a half years, and I took care of her for many years. I couldn't accept her mental illness. I tried to pretend that everything was fine. I can get... I can get afflicted and, and kept relapsing over and over again. Beamed her. I'm not sure what that means. Okay. Uh, amends for a, a dying loved one. I believe this. I believe when I die, I get to go into the other room. That's what I believe. I believe my life is a, is a series of rooms, and I believe it starts at some point and never ends. That's what I believe today. Uh, some people call it eternity. Some people call it this. Some people call it that. But I'm in this room today. And, and I, uh, there are some days when I can't wait to get to the next room because this room has become so wonderful and glorious. Uh, so if you've lost someone and they're gone, uh, don't make the amends about your sadness. Go ahead and just make the amends, and, and, and hopefully they're in the other room enjoying themselves, and they're going to be relieved that you finally get what you did. You know, because moms and dads most of the time are just relieved when we finally get what we've been doing. You know, I'll never forget, I was uh, 25 years sober and I'm up in Wisconsin driving with my sister. And uh, we're talking about, oh, see, it had to be about 67. I, uh, I was up in the mental ward having a great time. And uh, they had me in five-point restraint and then they let me up and I was in the day room. And the orderly came in, and the rules were you tried to sleep for an hour. If you couldn't sleep, then you could get up. I had done that. And I was up in the day room, and the orderly came in and said, Ed, what are you doing up? And I was honest with him. I said, I'm trying to figure out one reason to live, just one, because I couldn't. I couldn't. And he said, well, you have to go to bed. And I said, I I, I tried to sleep for an hour. I couldn't sleep. They said I could get up. And he said, you have to go to bed. And I said, I can't go to bed. I've got to figure this out. And he said, well, I'm going to put you to bed. No, okay. <laughs> Shortly after, the SWAT team came up. <laughs> and I got my back to the wall with the pool cue. And uh, I'll never forget it. This one cop's coming up to me like this saying, Ed, you know, we aren't trying to hurt you. And his billy club swinging in the back of his head as he comes walking up. And I grabbed that pool cue again. And I said, I'll tear your head off. You get away from me. And some nice nurse who kind of knew the answer to my problem said, Ed, I'll tell you what, if you agree to go in and lay down, I'll give you something to make you feel better. (laughs) (laughs) They backed up. Uh, They committed me to the Iowa State Mental Institution and turned me psychotic, neurotic, insanely violent, hopelessly addicted to drugs and chronic alcoholic. uh, Thirty-some years later, I'm driving in Wisconsin, or, or 28 years later, something like that, with my sister, and that event comes up. And we're talking about it, and I look in the rearview mirror, and I see my sister, and tears are just streaming down her face as she talks about this. And I said, Honey, what's wrong? She said, Eddie, you're my baby brother, and you were gone. You said, we were just gone mentally. There was nothing left, and they were taking you away. And she's just crying. And I turned around and said, Honey, I'm sorry. I, you know, in 25 years, that never come up in my eighth and ninth step. What did I put my family members through? I want to talk about forgiving. What did I put my family members through? I don't want to forgive something. Look at what I've done. How dare I not forgive? And I told her, I am so sorry. And she says, oh, Ed, she says, I know God touched your life, and I love who you are today, but I'll never forget the day I lost my brother. That, uh, that tells me that, you know, I always got to be conscious of the effect I have on other people. I was sharing with a guy uh, yesterday, and uh, he was talking about shooting somebody and getting out of the sentence. And I said, uh, did you ever make amends for that? And he said, yeah, I made amends to the guy, but you know what I thought of? What about the family while this guy was in the hospital recuperating? What about all the terror they went through? What about all the horror of sitting there wondering whether he was going to run or not? Did you make amends to them? 
Now, how did I figure that out? Years later, when I uh, was in the courtroom getting my friend Sherman's sentence reduced to, from first-degree murder and life, natural life in prison to 65 years, second-degree murder, Sherman's sister was crying there. It had been 27, 28 years since the murder. And she's crying, and I went over, and I, Sherman is one of the, the guy, one of the guys who killed my father. And she's crying, and I went over, and I held her, and I said, Honey, what's wrong? And she said, Nobody has ever asked me how I feel. When Sherman did that, I lost all my friends. Nobody talked to me. I was ostracized and hated because my brother was a murderer. And you know, as good a program as I got, never even registered. And I said, Honey, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I held her and she cried. You know, when we're talking about justified anger and things we've done to other people, or other people have done to me, we better be willing to take a good look at the effect we've had on other people. But on your mother dying a year and a half ago, I would simply... In fact, let's do something, if you don't mind participating with me. Uh, step 11 is prayer and meditation. You know that one that you never give any credibility to? Let's participate in it once I want everybody to just sit there and close your eyes for a minute. Sit straight, put your hands flat on the floor, or hands and feet flat on the floor. <laughs> Thank you, you tried. <laughs> and I just, for a minute, I want you to close your eyes, just for a minute. It's a little gift of trust and faith, but close your eyes, and I want you to take a deep breath in through your nose, real deep, hold it, let all that oxygen go to all your extremities, and then blow it, blow it out through your mouth, slowly and completely. Now take another breath. In through your nose. Hold it. Slowly out through your mouth. Now I want you to visualize breathing in the loving, healing power. Keep your eyes closed. Breathing in the loving, healing power of your God. In through your nose. Fill your heart, your soul, your body with the loving, healing power of God. And exhale any sadnesses that are in your life. Slowly and completely. I want you to inhale the loving, healing power of God in through your nose. Fill your heart, your lungs, your body up. Hold it, feel it, sense it. Then as you exhale, exhale any regrets you've ever had. I want you to breathe in the loving, healing power of God. Continue to keep your eyes closed. Breathe in the loving, healing power of God. Hold it. Hold it. And now exhale the loving, healing power of God. You are one with the universe. You are one with God. Now I want you to go to a place in your own mind's eye, a favorite place. Keep your eyes closed. It might be a place you've been in the past, but it's a place of comfort and peace and beauty. And I want you to go there. And if you don't have one, create one. The ones I like to create always have running waters and babbling brooks and greenery. Now in front of you, Right in front of you, I want you to have a real comfortable chair. I want you to be really comfortable. Gentle breeze coming across your face. And right in front of you, I want you to build an altar or a table, whatever you prefer, an altar or table right in front of you and make it very strong. And you design this any way you want. Anything, it can be anything, but make it strong. I want you to build that altar and I want you to look at it and I want you to notice how sturdy it is that it can take anything that's put on it. Now I want you to take a minute and I want you to look deep inside of your being and pull out that hurt that you were afraid to let go of and put it on the altar. Now I want you to reach deep inside of you and pull out that situation that you can't figure out how to let go of. 
feel safe enough to put it on the altar. It's okay. Put it on the altar. Then I want you to look deep inside of you and anything of a sad or negative or negative nature or anything that makes you angry. Put it on the altar. Don't worry, it's strong enough to hold it. And as your eyes are closed, I will say for you the third step prayer. God, we offer ourselves to Thee to build with Thee and do with as Thou wilt to relieve us of the bondage of self that we may better do Your will. Take away our difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those we would help of Thy power, Thy love, Thy way of life. May we do Thy will always. Keep your eyes closed. Look at the altar. And watch all those things just simply go away. They have no power. They own you no more. I want you to look at the altar and I want you to put the characteristics you'd like to be as a human being. Each and every one, if you want to be more kind and loving, put that there. If you want to be a better husband or a father, or a boyfriend, put that there. If you want to be a better spouse, wife, mother, or daughter, put that there. If you want to be more uh, uh, selfless, put that there. Whatever comes to your mind that you want to be, put it on that altar. And I want you to fill the altar with what you'd like to be. Now I want you to take a deep breath, and as you take that deep breath, I want you to visualize all those wonderful things coming off that altar and into your mind, your soul, and your body. Breathe in the loving, healing power of your God. Exhale the loving, healing power of your God. Now I want you to take three cleansing breaths. And when you're done, you'll be refreshed and renewed, but I want to share one more bit of information. Everything that you put on that altar as characteristics you would like to have, you already have because you came up with them. So use this as an opportunity to be everything you always wanted to be. Take your three deep cleansing breaths, open your eyes, and be refreshed and renewed. Good stuff, huh? That's step 11, by the way. It's called, if you don't know how to meditate, you do now. Okay, uh, conflict of being afraid to feel anger of dad's dying when I was one. Um. I'm not a big sub sub subscriber of going back and having to relive those emotions of things I think I should have. I don't know of any one-year-old that was angry when their dad died. I do a lot of work with children and that. Uh, and if you're working with somebody who's got you on that, continue with them. I, I, I can't give you any input on there. I know that if I'm in the past, I'm not in the present. And it's more important for me to be in the present. So I would say to you that if you're angry about your dad dying, uh, admit that. I hope you put it on the altar and it's no longer a problem. But live with it during today rather than think you have to go back to yesterday. Because I'm just not a fan of that. I think it causes more turmoil than healing. Uh, that's just my two cents. A woman interfered with my life. One to five other families at different times to the point that my children were taken from me. I was a great mother. I hate this woman. Think of killing her sometimes. And I am peaceful and docile. <laughs> really? I find that when I really hate somebody, let's take the guy that murdered my father, the guys. It was five young black men that killed my father and his friends because they were white. Now, uh, that really annoyed me. The only thing that saved them going in was uh, 
there was a, a, a guy when I first got sober that was not in the program. And nobody would come near me when I got sober, for good reason, I might add. And this guy said, why don't you come help me? I run a juvenile run, run, runaway home and come help me with this. And uh, uh, what we did is we got kids who ran away from home, and we had an agreement with the police that if we got them, we could get them back home, and there'd be no police record because like 80 to 90 percent of the runaways that were gone is they were afraid to go home initially. So he had created this foundation where the, we would go in and we'd get them home and they'd get to fix whatever they had fixed and the kids didn't run out there in a life of whatever a lot of us had run into. And the guy happened to be six foot six and he was 410 pounds and he happened to be black. And uh, when I got sober, there was a guy, uh, Bobby. And I wouldn't ask anybody for a ride when I got sober because I just really wasn't worth it. And so I was walking five miles to this meeting out in Bettendorf, Iowa, and I'd walk out there, and on Thursday nights, Bobby would say, Ed, do you want to ride home? And I'd say, no, 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 that's the case. He said, no, no, come with me. And every Thursday night, he'd give me a ride home. I found out two years later that every night, Thursday night, when Bobby dropped me off, the police would pull him over about two blocks away from the house and say, what are you doing with him? And they'd go through his, and just tear his rig apart, his car apart, looking for dope or anything else. And Bobby happened to be black. And Bobby never mentioned a word. You know what Bobby said to me next Thursday? Want a riot, Ed? So when I was faced with that kind of gracious, racist murder, I had to look at the whole picture because that's what you taught me to do. And I can't be mad at any individual race because of these five when I got these guys who saved my life. I call that a gift from God. I certainly, years later, couldn't have been manager of the Harlem Globetrotters had I wanted to stay angry and mad and not be healed from that. Uh, this woman who did whatever she did, if you're sober now and you're trying to work these steps, I would ask you, who cares? If you lost your kids, it might have been for reasons other than you believe it was. I would always create a scenario where I was the victim. I don't know about you. But I would always create the scenario where I was the victim when usually I was the perpetrator. That part I read, usually we did things based on self that later put us in a position to be hurt. I know taking kids is tough for moms. They had to have something going. So I would ask you to reflect on that with your sponsor prayerfully. And I would also ask you to Look at, if you're peaceful and docile, how can you think about murdering somebody? I'm not trying to be funny. I understand that. But look at that. Because you're not peaceful and docile. You're a murderer. You have the same capability of the people who murdered my father. That's why you're her equal. And there's a little thing in the Lord's Prayer that we say at the end of every meeting, or most meetings. There's a movement to eliminate that. I hope we... Don't follow through with that. But it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. The longer you hate her, the more miserable you're going to be. Not saying whatever she did was right. Don't care about her. Care about you. The longer you hate her, the more miserable you're going to be. Man, we're running out of time. We'll do one or two more questions and then wrap it up. How do you forgive yourself for being both parents and making a mess of the family, children? Um, we have a disease. It's called alcoholism. It'll make bad parents out of the best of parents. And it'll make worse parents out of bad parents. Uh, but it is a disease. And I would suggest to you this. Stop beating yourself over how you treated your children yesterday and make sure you're being a better parent than you've ever been today. Because regretting how you spent yesterday makes you a lousy parent today as well. Anybody I hate, any memories I have that take away from the goodness. If I want to hate somebody, guess who pays for it? The people that are nearest and dearest to me. Because as much as I love them, it's being held back by that hate or that anger or that resentment. So if you regret what happened to your kids, I'm glad you regret it. Now get off the pity pot 
And thank God that you've got a way to change that. You've got a gift. There are going to be bad parents who are bad parents forever. You've got a chance of changing that right now because of 12 steps, and I'm sure the people you're around. So instead of regret, let's celebrate the freedom. We always want to regret that we've done time in negative places, and we always forget to celebrate the freedom that we have today. Hence the, 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 the title of this convention, A New Freedom. When I thought of that and I thought about the forgiveness workshop, I thought, how appropriate. A new freedom. I don't have to be angry anymore. I just want to look at... I don't do well with notes. I wrote down two things yesterday that uh, I was thinking about in prayer and meditation. Politeness. Politeness is an antibiotic for bitterness and nastiness. I try to honor everybody I come in contact with. Everybody. If you walk down with me right now to that restaurant right downstairs, when I walk in, people will smile at me and say, welcome back, and, and they're happy I'm there, and I'm happy I'm there. Why? Because I told them I was happy to see them going in. How? By the way I conducted myself. I love honoring people. If I spend my time honoring each individual, I don't have time for bitterness. It talks in the book about the brainstorm and the, the fits of anger. Just We don't have time for that. That's for the mutual people. The only way I cannot do that is I've got to spend every chance I get consciously in the present moment of now honoring whoever I'm around. Well, last year I was moving, and I went down to this uh, place... In Memphis, I went down there for a few months. And I went into this restaurant I don't go into very often, but the manager had been transferred there, and I'd known him for years. And I eat out a lot. I'm single, so that explains my, uh, my body. <laughs> so at least that's the excuse I'm using. And uh, I went into this restaurant, and I told the manager I was moving. And one of the wait waitresses came up that I hardly knew, and she said, Pastor Ed, are you moving? And I said, yeah. And she started crying. And I said, honey, what's wrong? She said, every time you come in, you make me feel better. That's what I want on my tombstone. What a gift. That's the same town where I laid in the middle of the street and they wanted to leave me laying. What's the difference? I try to honor people with politeness and kindness instead of that sarcasm I talked about earlier. I, I, I try to honor everybody because God has honored me by giving me a right to start fresh and new. One of the things about forgiveness that i got to say is if you're unforgiving, it's an old idea and you're living in yesterday. There's nothing current. There's nothing healthy. There's nothing healing about it. It's just the facts. And if you want to change, you can. And I wrote down, kindness kills meanness 99% of the time. I, uh, I travel a lot, and I walked into uh, Hertz, and I was getting a rental car in Chicago. And I walked in, and this guy, gal was obviously having a bad day. <laughs> I walked in and said, I'm supposed to have an upgrade to a full size because I don't fit most stuff. She said, well, I don't know if we have one. And I don't know if I'm going to give you one if we do have one. And I said, I thought for a minute. 86, 87, 88. Pause. Went agitated. And I said, boy, Chicago is a beautiful city. They're keeping you busy. It looks like you guys are really busy today. She said, man, they're just making me crazy. And everything you can do wrong, I've done wrong. And I said, you know, I have those days. I just hate that. And she changed immediately. She said, I'm sorry if I was abrupt with you. I said, no, I understand. I have bad days, too. She said, we'll put you in a better car. I said, okay, thanks. <laughs> that happens more often than not. But here's the good news. I'm not looking for the reward. I'm looking for the peace. 
I'd rather walk away from that counter peaceful than enraged and thinking about her for the next two days. <laughs> I was sitting there one day and talking to a, a guy I sponsor, and we were in a restaurant in the Quad Cities, and we're talking, and I'm really trying to beat home to him that you may be the only example of AA anybody ever sees. What you do is important. You don't know who's watching, who's looking. You don't know. And you need to conduct yourself in a manner of dignity and respect because you just don't know what's going to happen. Right at that time, the waitress came over, and we'd been there about 45 minutes. And she said to me, I am so sorry, I forgot to put in your order. And I thought, I said to her, well, how refreshing. You know? I screw up from time to time, too. It's nice to hear somebody just say it. And she said, you're okay with that? And I said, yeah, put in the order. She says, you're really okay? I said, yeah, that's not a problem. I, I make mistakes, too. Thanks for being honest. And she left, and the manager came over and said, sir, are you okay? <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, she's a great waitress. She's, she was very attentive, and that she just, you know, she lost track of things. And she, okay, and he gave me a free dessert. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we get done talking, we, we get a meal. And we're eating, and there's a couple on the booth next to us. And get up, and they just heard my voice. They had never met me. And they were people from out of town in AA. And they said, are you Ed M. that talks at AA? And I said, yeah. And they said, we wanted to thank you because you've helped us keep our marriage together, and what a wonderful example. And tears came to my eyes. Because what if... I was giving this wonderful lecture to the guy I sponsored. And I would have said, what the hell do you mean you forgot my life? <laughs> you never know. You never know. Forgiveness is an inside job. You don't do it for them, yet they benefit. And I've got to tell you this, too, that if you forgive somebody, you've got to tell them, because if you don't, it's only serving you, and that's still selfish and self-centered. In order for it to be complete, I need to tell them. That's how it ended up with these guys. I was, I was preaching on forgiveness in church. I had a spiritual awakening uh, at a, a Christian retreat about 13 years ago. And God said, I want you as a minister. And I thought, okay, I don't argue with God. And at about six months later, I was kind of thinking, God, you remember me, Ed, the big guy? You know, you called me, you know, I got the call. You called me. Are you sure you're calling me? And I said, I don't mean to bug you, but I need some, I need some proof. I need, this is too important. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Because I knew if I was going to be in the ministry, I had to hold me to a higher standard than I'd ever been before. But that's the same way with being a speaker in AA. I feel no different. That I have to be beyond reproach as much as possible. And I said, I'm willing to do that, but I need to know that you're calling me. And I opened that other big book and I turned to a place that simply said... The worse you've been, the more he loves you. And then he played a song. <laughs> and it was... The worse you've been, the more he loves you. So actually, the more horrendous things I did, the more happy he is that I'm coming home. Some people call it the prodigal son. I call it walking into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and al -Anon. We absolutely don't care where you've been, but we are just delighted for where you're at today. You may not be, but if you stick around, we will be. We'll do one or two more questions. How do I forgive myself for manipulating people? Uh, just stop it. Oh, this one, how, how, do, how do I forgive, how do you forgive yourself? I did that, for be a better parent, okay. How do I forgive myself for picking up a drink after almost nine years? I know God has forgiven me and my family even forgives me, but I don't forgive myself. Well, first off, I, I thank you that you're here today. You're rare. Usually people with long-time sobriety or over five years of drink don't make it back. So uh, God's got something really special in mind for you. And it's not about forgiving you. Would you forgive yourself if you had a recurrence of cancer? Uh, you know, it's not about forgiveness in this one sense. 
I would suggest this. Review carefully what you stopped doing that made you decide drinking was okay again. One of the things I've learned being here 34 and a half years is there are patterns that happen. You can watch people and what they do. When somebody goes out, I go and sit right next to them and say, fill me in. What'd you do? What didn't you do? Inevitably, it's stop going to meetings. Most of the time, though, when you cut right to it, never got a relationship with God and, uh, and stop going to meetings. Now I want to address people who find Jesus. I'm a pastor and I love being a pastor. It's quite clear to you who I think my higher power is, and I'm not trying to lay that on you. But I believe God created Alcoholics Anonymous. I be believe God come to Bob and Bill and said, Bill, Bob, I got this group that's making me crazy. <laughs> what about me? What about me? What about me? Look at them. Look at them. What about me? What about me? What about me? <laughs> and, 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 and they're just a small percentage, about 10%, but they're just making me crazy. I want to give you these basics and go with it. Would you, would you talk to them so I could pay attention to the other people in the world too? <laughs> so I have no doubt that this was divinely inspired and it is a healing and it's God's blessing is all over this. But I would also tell you this that if you think Jesus can keep you sober, uh, religion had less than 2% success with alcoholics before Alcoholics Anonymous. If you think therapy or psychiatry can keep you sober, less than 2% success before Alcoholics Anonymous. This is an answer that works, and in my experience, complements any good religion that I know of. goes hand in hand. In fact, on page 80, Eight of the big book, it says, be quick to see where religious people are right, make use of what they offer. If I sponsor you, you go to church at least once a month, whether you like it or not. And I don't care if you're Jewish and you're going to Mass, go. Why? Because it's just a little effort of giving a little instead of being expected to get every day, you know. And isn't that the essence of what we're supposed to do in Alcoholics Anonymous, to learn how to be of service or give? rather than constantly expect to receive. I, uh, I want to close. I want to do one more question. This one's hot. Oh, good. Uh, how do I get rid of shame? I was molested as a child by my dad. Now, this is tricky because a lot of people work this shame thing to to be real self-absorbed. The things I understand about the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is to rid me of my shame, my guilt, my anger, my resentment. How I get rid of shame is I give it to God. How you can have shame about being molested when you were a kid, I'm not sure, because you're not at fault here. You indeed were the victim. Uh, but now it's time to be a victor. And I would suggest that, I hope, when we did our little meditation, you put that on the altar, and if you didn't, after you get out of here, do your own little meditation. And put it on the altar, and keep putting it on the altar till it stays there, one day at a time. Okay? Let's all close our eyes. Lord, Make me a channel of thy peace. Where there is hatred, I may bring love. That where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I may bring truth. That where there is doubt, I may bring faith. That where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light that where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved, for it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Amen. My prayer this morning at 6 a.m. is that uh, I help somebody heal today.
I don't know who it was. I know you were here, and I thank you for the opportunity, and I thank you for your time and attention. God bless you, and thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.